Hey there, and welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. Uh, this is Brett, and uh, we're back with our really second episode of um, this season, um, but really the first one that has uh, chock full of information. Um, all right, so uh, what is the intention for this particular podcast? And I guess I'll preface all of that by saying that what I'm covering today is probably one of the most common questions that I get through um, various channels, right? So in my group, um, or uh, email or, or messenger or what have you, right? So a lot of people have asked me, what can I do to protect myself? Right? What can I do to support myself um, post COVID vaccination? And so um, I fielded this question so many times that I figured it was probably just a good idea to record this episode and um, to put down uh, some resources for you. Um, and you know, I, th I think when we when we think about these types of things, um, there's a lot of people out there, you know, I've seen protocols with like 15, 20 supplements, and people are just throwing every single thing at it. And while I don't want to discount that many of these things will work, um, I think what we need to do is we need to come up with something that's uh, doable, right, that's realistic, that doesn't break the bank, that's at least going to be um, somewhat tighter in terms of managing your day to day, right? Because most of us are not going to manage 15 or 20 supplements that might cost a few thousand dollars every month. Okay, that's just not feasible for the average person. And so my intention with the protocol that I'm going to share with you today um, is obviously I want to make it manageable for you. Um, I want to explain why we should be doing some of these things. And I also want to just make a big bold disclaimer here that this in no way am, am I suggesting uh, that this is a blanket cure-all, um, like it's going to cure you from COVID, it's going to cure you from vaccine side effects or anything like that. I'm just saying that, you know, we're all feeling our way in the dark here to a degree, but we do have 18, 20 months of hindsight to look back on now. And there's things that we can say will will work better than others for most people. And uh, I think when it comes to something like vitamin D, there's a lot of peer-reviewed literature, right? Um, last time I checked, I think there were 75 uh, peer-reviewed studies. So um, that's my intention today, right, is to make this manageable and um, doable for you and uh, give, give you things that have some degree of efficacy or proof that they're going to do something, all right? So um, the three main intentions here for today's podcast, the first one is obviously prevention, all right? So this is prevention from uh, whether you're talking about COVID or whether you're talking about the flu or colds or any any like um, pathogen, right? Uh, any respiratory illness, anything like that. So this is prevention, right? So that's really um, our first protocol here, okay? Okay, so the three main intentions for this particular podcast are one, preventative. So we're talking about prevention for from COVID, from flu, from colds, et cetera, et cetera. And really what that taps into is strengthening our immune system. Okay. Um, the second one is to protect. So protect from um, vaccine shedding. And, and I know this is a very controversial topic. And to be quite frank, I didn't actually believe that um, that was true when I first learned about it. And I want to be quite clear on this. We're not talking about viral shedding. Okay, so I'm not talking about shedding SARS-CoV-2 or anything like that. I'm talking about the actual shedding of the spike protein. 
And so when you look at the literature now, um, there, obviously there's very scant um, r reports on that. Uh, you know, it's not like people are, are digging into this. But uh, Dr. Robert Malone, the co-inventor of mRNA technology, um, he got into a lot of trouble on Twitter, uh, fully acknowledging that spike proteins do transmit. All right. And um, of course, uh, his sort of like um, scapegoat there or his out was essentially saying, well, the amount is negligible. Okay, and I think that's where um, we don't we don't know, right? We don't know, but there are um, tens of thousands of reports of um, particularly women who, once they've been in close proximity to um, people that have been vaccinated, all of a sudden they're having menstrual issues and uh, and so on, right? Um, women that have been postmenopausal suddenly start getting their period again. Um, women who uh, were quite regular have suddenly become irregular. Uh, heavy bleeding. It's a lot of menstrual issues. And again, when you get into the literature, what you find is that, uh, you know, especially from that Japanese study, you find that the spike proteins do travel throughout the body. And one of the organs that they tend to settle in is going to be the reproductive organs, right, particularly for women. So I don't want to really get into that topic much more. Um, whether you believe it or not um, is really irrelevant uh, for those people that are experiencing some of these um, effects, right? And I personally know quite a number. Um, this protocol is going to work for that as well, okay, to some degree. The third one, which is a big one, right, is post-vaccination support. And, you know, let's not kid ourselves, right? We are uh, in uh, quite a predicament here. Um, a lot of companies have uh, mandated, air quotes, have mandated um, COVID shots. Uh, this is happening right now in real time. And I know that there's plenty of people out there that did not want to get the shots, right? They did not want to get the shots, but they did it because they wanted to keep their job. They needed to support their family and so on. And so I, I can... 100% I can respect that and I totally get where you're coming from and so I think that um, you know there's no sense in in first of all shaming those people I think it's it's quite terrible what a lot of people are doing um, is shaming those people I think what I would like to do is actually support you and to say well look you know we don't know um, how long your body continues to make spike protein for right? Um, looking at the efficacy and the waning at the moment, uh, we could say, and we, I, don't think, I don't think anyone knows this really, um, we could say that maybe it's going to be somewhere between three to six months, right? And this is kind of why we're seeing boosters come in now, because the efficacy is waning. And, um, you know, the, the question is, like, why is the efficacy waning? I don't really know. Um, that's a topic for another day. But the other question is, is it waning because your body is slowly stopping to make spike protein? I don't know. Right? I don't think anyone really has the answer. Regardless, um, I think that we also have to acknowledge that there are bona fide side effects. Okay, There are bona fide side effects from your body um, making that, that spike protein. Essentially, the spike protein itself is binding to these ACE2 receptors, right? And we have ACE2 receptors throughout our body. And so, um, of course, as your body's making these spike proteins in some people, right, in certain individuals, these spike proteins might be binding to ACE2 receptors in their body and causing some of these side effects, okay? Um, there's also, of course, other ingredients in there, okay? Other ingredients in there, adjuvants, uh, lipid nanoparticles, and so on, that might, again, be causing problems for certain individuals. So I want to be quite clear on my wording here, 
all right? Because when you get into the side effects, um, you know, there's a lot of nuance there with that discussion. Uh, we're talking about uh, bio-individuality, so different people, different age brackets, uh, they're going to respond differently. Uh, people with underlying health issues, uh, comorbidities, they're going to respond differently. If you are already uh, prone to blood clotting, or perhaps you already have existing blood clots and heart disease, you're going to be more susceptible, perhaps. So I just want to be quite clear that, again, what I'm giving you here is something that I feel will work, or at least will support most people. Okay, there's obviously going to be those very um, uh, severe cases and that sort of thing. And that's where, you know, this kind of falls outside. Maybe that's going to support you, but that's where you are going to have to work with some type of specialist or, uh, you know, you're going to have to get um, additional care. All right. So um, let's kick things off and uh, we'll start in no particular order, although I think the first one is probably the most important one. Um, the first one on our list here is vitamin D. Okay, so as I said, lots of studies now uh, to show relationships between vitamin D status in the body and um, your, uh, you know, basically your susceptibility. And uh, what I will say is this in very simplistic terms is um, around 80% in some studies, right, 80% of people who have been hospitalized with COVID have um, had vitamin D levels that were deficient. Okay. And um, as we, depending on where you are in the world right now, but if you are listening to this in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, we are coming out of our summer and we're going into our winter. And so this time of year is when your vitamin D levels are typically going to be the highest, or at least they should be the highest if you've been spending time outside and getting sunshine and so on and so on. Um, so as we head into the winter, and we are, it gets colder, uh, daylight hours decrease, your vitamin D levels are going to drop in your body. All right. So um, there's different units of measurements throughout the world, and I don't want to bog us down with the technicalities here. Um, I think that the easiest way to assess your vitamin D levels, or the best way, is to actually get some blood work done. Okay, so um, standard blood work will test for vitamin D. And of course, you can get um, more expensive testing that will actually look for different types of vitamin D in your body. Uh, so basically, when you look at vitamin D, it has to go through two separate conversions in order to be activated. Um, and that happens in the kidneys and the liver. And so uh, some of the more advanced sort of, you know, maybe functional lab testing will assess what those three types are doing, right? So in other words, am I actually converting it? But um, for simplicity's sake, I would say go and get some regular blood work done. They're going to check your vitamin D levels. And no matter what units you're using to measure things, uh, what you should be shooting for is at least middle of the range. Okay, if you're tending towards the bottom of the range, or of course, if you're out of range at the bottom, uh, you should definitely be supplementing perhaps in higher amounts. Um, but if you're kind of in the bottom half, um, you know, you definitely want to get on some supplementation and, and bring your levels up. So I'm going to say that a conservative dosage here for vitamin D is around three to 4,000 IUs per day. So that's three to 4,000 international units per day. And um, you should definitely be looking at something that has vitamin K2 in it as well. Part of the reason why we don't want to, and, and I will say that three to 4,000 IUs is not an incredibly high dose. Um, you know, therapeutically, we might go up to 10 or even 20,000 IUs 
in, in an acute case um, or if someone's very, very deficient, right? But I'm just giving you some conservative numbers here. So four th three to 4,000 IUs with vitamin K2. And um, don't worry too much about the, the, the dosage of K2 because um, you can really take quite a lot of it uh, without any uh, consequences there. Uh, one thing I do want to say, though, with... Um, vitamin D is you definitely want to look for uh, liquids. Okay, so I much prefer liquids, I much prefer drops, and uh, as opposed to tablets. Okay, the reason why I like that and capsules are fine too. Um, I've just, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a while, and I find that the liquids, um, the emulsification is the best. And so when you look at tablets, um, you know, if I can give you some kind of visual here, vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin, right? So um, you know, you can imagine if I dropped uh, fat, like let's just say I had water, and I put oil on that water, right? What's going to happen is you're going to have some big oil droplets form over here, you're going to have smaller ones here than medium sized ones over there. And can you imagine if I, you know, that that's something that is not properly emulsified. In other words, those drops are not uniform. And when they're making vitamin D uh, tablets, basically what they're doing is they're laying it out almost on like a baking sheet, right, with their quote-unquote emulsifier. And if it's not properly emulsified, you're going to have spots where there's lots, like very high concentrations of vitamin D and spots where there's very low. And as they run that through the pill press, what's going to happen is some of those tablets are going to land up with very low doses and some are going to land up with very high doses. Uh, so there's actually been media reports on that where some tablets are as low as 2 IUs and some are as high as 200,000 IUs. So this would be more of your sort of cheaper drugstore uh, type of vitamin D. And I would just um, encourage you to, to perhaps look elsewhere. Um, you, uh, the emulsification is really, really key. So drops, uh, typically what they've done with drops is because it's in a liquid solution, they've actually emulsified them with things like sesame oil and so on. And uh, you'll find that the dosaging is a lot more accurate. So vitamin D relative to COVID, um, you know, let's just, let's just uh, wrap our vitamin D segment up with that. Um, aside from being deficient, right, we know that vitamin D is what's called an immune modulator, all right? Um, so an immune modulator is, is a very important part of our immune system and what it means to modulate the immune system, because when people think of immunity, they just think of, you know, my immune system is low or high, right? So I want to boost my immune system. And um, once you actually get into immunology, what you will find is that we have these, we have different branches of the immune system, right? Many different branches. And in certain individuals, some of those branches might be low. Um, and, and weak, and some of those branches might be strong. Some of those branches might actually be hyperactive in the, you know, in the face of autoimmune disease and that sort of stuff. So what an immune modulator does is it basically helps to level that out. So if parts of the immune system are overactive, it will help to dial it down. If parts of the immune system are um, weak or, or, or low, it's going to help to bring that up. And that's what it means to modulate, right? So an immune balancer, if you want to look at that in lay terms. Uh, the other thing with vitamin D is that we know that vitamin D impacts roughly 5,000 genes. So 5,000 genes. So, so the ripple effect here is huge. And I don't think we could map all of those out um, relative to COVID. But I think the biggest one is supporting your immune system. It's an immune modulator. And of course, as we're coming into winter, a, a bonus side effect here is that it's also going to improve your mood um, as in seasonal affective disorder. 
And uh, next on our list here is vitamin C. So vitamin C, um, again, in certain news reports and some isolated studies, uh, 90% of hospitalized COVID patients had undetectable levels of vitamin C in their blood. Right. So just think about that for a minute. Undetectable, like you can't even find it in their blood. Vitamin C is one of those things where um, we somewhere along the evolutionary path, we lost the ability to make vitamin C, Okay, which is kind of crazy. So um, us and guinea pigs. So most mammals, most mammals actually make vitamin C themselves, but somewhere we lost that ability. So we have to get vitamin C from our diets. And um, lo and behold, where are we going to find it? We're going to find it in things like citrus fruits, uh, fresh fruits, uh, vegetables, and of course, very high concentrations in things like acerola cherries, um, amla berries, and so on and so on. Um, but vitamin C is also very easily destroyed by cooking and heat. So um, especially for those of us in the northern climates where the temperature is dropping, uh, you know, we, we're starting to get into that time of year where we're not eating as many fresh um, fruits and vegetables. We're eating a lot more cooked foods and uh, that sort of stuff, right? So sorry, I should have said raw fruits and vegetables. So um, with vitamin C, I mean, the good news with vitamin C is that it is water soluble. So it's very difficult to take too much. Um, if you do land up taking too much, the worst thing that's going to happen is uh, diarrhea, and then that will that will pass, and then the vitamin C will will get flushed out of your system. Uh, it's very important as well to take vitamin C throughout the day, um, as opposed to just taking one gigantic dose uh, first thing in the morning. And of course, we do want to try and get it from our diet as well. But uh, vitamin C relative to um, COVID here, right? Um, vitamin C is uh, probably the one of the most powerful antioxidants in the body, first of all. And so you find that when you look at the functions of vitamin C, it is very, very, very broad spectrum, right? Very broad spectrum. It's got a number of different functions. Um, but uh, being an antioxidant, um, what it does is it protects our body, right? Um, it is a water-soluble um, vitamin, as I said, so it does really protect us more from water-soluble free radicals and water-soluble toxins and that sort of stuff. But nonetheless, it is a very, very potent antioxidant. It is also a very powerful anti-inflammatory. Okay, And of course, that's one of the things that we know about um, ab about COVID is that uh, it does, you know, there's a lot of inflammation that's happening in a very short space of time. But a lot of people have chronic inflammation, right? So we've got this persistent inflammation, and vitamin C can really help to, um, you know, tamp that down. Let's put it that way. We do know, and of course, uh, you know, we know that vitamin C is also a very powerful antimicrobial, okay? So antibacterial, antiviral, anti-mold, anti-yeast, et cetera, et cetera. Um, of course, the challenge is always that, uh, you know, if we had to do this in a test tube situation, um, well, obviously, you know, you can just keep filling that test tube with more and more vitamin C. So relative to human human beings, um, oftentimes we find that we cannot get high amounts of vitamin C into the body, right? So in other words, we cannot hit that true therapeutic uh, level of vitamin C that would wipe out any virus or, or pathogen. 
Um, and the reason for that is that once you start taking too much, you're going to ha- hit bowel tolerance and you're going to have diarrhea and you can't, you can't take anymore. And that's where vitamin C injections, right? So IV therapy for vitamin C would come into the picture. Um, I don't necessarily advocate vitamin C therapy for every, like a, an IV for everyone. Um, you know, perhaps if you have the means or you um, feel like you've, you've got COVID, perhaps then, you know, vitamin C intravenously would, might, be, might be a good idea. Um, but again, we're trying to make this accessible for most people listening here. So um, what else? Uh, vitamin C is best taken with bioflavonoids. Um, these are usually included in the products. And there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, rutin, hesperidin, um, quercetin, uh, citrus bioflavonoids. So really, it really depends. And uh, the reason why we want to take it with bioflavonoids is because the bioflavonoids enhance the absorption and the bioavailability of the vitamin C itself. Okay, um, the dosage here is is kind of all over the place. Um, I would say that the minimum dosage should really be three thousand milligrams per day. Uh, so that might look like a thousand milligram capsule um, with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, that's probably a good starting point. And of course, you can really go up. Um, I would say the upper limit that you really that you really need. Um, and and we're not talking treatment here. We're just talking about um, prevention and supporting yourself. Uh, might be a range here of three thousand to nine thousand milligrams per day. Okay. So um, that kind of uh, is about as much as I think I need to say with vitamin C. Um, Yeah, I think we covered all the bases there. Okay, so moving on to our next one here, um, quercetin. So quercetin, uh, that is Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, right? You can check the show notes as well, quercetin. Quercetin is a bioflavonoid that has, uh, it's found in fruits, obviously, um, one of the richest sources of quercetin happens to be cherry. And um, quercetin works together with zinc, which is next on our list, right? So quercetin and zinc work together. Okay, so um, I'm going to try and boil this down in very simplistic terms. Um, if you would like to get more info on this, um, on zinc together with uh, quercetin, um, you can go on to the show notes and I'll post the blog article entitled uh, COVID-19 chloroquine, zinc, and quercetin. And uh, basically, uh, what we're talking about here is that uh, zinc and quercetin together um, essentially work very much like hydroxychloroquine, which I know is controversial. um, But once again, if you click on that blog post, you will actually see that um, I did an interview with Dr. James Lyons-Weiler on uh, why governments have banned the sale and the use of hydroxychloroquine, so you can dig into that. And um, I will also not take credit for this blog post. Uh, This is a repost from Dr. Peter Dodamo. Um, So again, it gets quite technical. So simply put, um, there's a couple of things, right? And, And I'll just keep it really short here. One is that when viruses, in order for them to replicate, they these types of enveloped viruses like SARS-CoV-2, what they do is they bind to the exterior of the cell, and essentially then they have to move inside the cell, right? So they get inside the cell, and then once they're in there, they replicate. And that's, you know, basically what happens, right? And then we, we show signs and symptoms, we get sick, and so forth. So the way that zinc and quercetin work together um, is uh, zinc... Is, is actually being studied as an antiviral um, mineral, right? So not just for COVID, um, actually looking uh, back in time, uh, looking at things like Ebola, uh, looking at SARS-1 and so forth. So people have been looking at this for quite some time. 
But the challenge with zinc is that the cell does not readily uptake zinc. Okay, so cells don't readily uptake zinc. Um, however, what is interesting is that when you uh, think about, um, you know, one of the symptoms here of, of COVID is that people uh, lose their sense of, of um, smell, right, and their sense of taste. And that is actually a telltale sign of zinc deficiency, by the way. And so um, one theory that's out there is when you are infected with this virus, right, and the body senses that the virus has entered into the cells and is starting to replicate, what the body does is it triages all of the zinc in your blood, not all, but a lot of it, it triages the zinc from your blood into your cells in an effort to inhibit viral replication. And that's exactly what zinc does, right? So zinc is going to inhibit the enzymes that will enable the virus to replicate. Okay. The second thing that it's going to do is it's going to change the pH, right? And that pH is also going to prevent viral replication. But as I said earlier, zinc is not, um, the, the cells of the body under normal circumstances do not want to um, saturate themselves or really uptake a lot of zinc. And so we need a way to essentially get zinc into the cells. And that's where quercetin comes in. So quercetin can actually help um, as what's called a zinc um, transporter, or more correctly, um, a zinc ionophore. Uh, there's actually other things that will do that as well. Um, chloroquine, so hydroxychloroquine, uh, that is actually how it works um, uh, from, from the science side of things. Uh, but the other nutraceuticals here, so quercetin, which we've discussed, which is a bioflavonoid, and um, you also have um, uh, green tea, right? So green tea extracts and zinc, right? So quercetin plus zinc is being tested as an antiviral in human clinical trials for the treatment of COVID-19. And I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe that the prevention packs that they've been handing out in India, um, I know that they contain zinc, they might actually contain zinc and quercetin together. Um, but uh, we know that um, ivermectin, okay, again, another controversial topic, but we know that ivermectin also also appears to have ionophore activity. And so zinc and ivermectin together, I know for sure that that's what's been handed out in India. Um, I'm not sure about them adding the quercetin to that as well. So don't quote me on that. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, we also know that bioflavonoids uh, stabilize mast cells. We know that they would uh, help to control inflammation and so on and so on. So that's really how you use both of these things together. Um, the dosage is there. If you, uh, again, we want to do conservative dosaging here. We don't need to go crazy. Um, quercetin is uh, for prevention, 250 milligrams a day. Um, and uh, for treatment, uh, the treatment side of things, um, you can go up to 500 milligrams a day. I believe you can go much higher than that. You could even get up to 1500 milligrams, but you don't really need to, right? So 250 uh, for prevention. Uh, zinc is 25 milligrams. And so, um, you know, again, from the treatment side of things, you might go up to 50 or even up to 75. Um, so just, uh, you know, keep it conservative for the prevention side of things. Uh, 250 for quercetin, that's 250 milligrams, and 25 milligrams for zinc. Now, we also know, just uh, to carry on with zinc here for a minute, we also know that zinc is one of the major antioxidants, right? So we've got a lot of antioxidants that are required by the body. Um, the vitamin side of things is vitamins A, C, and E. And uh, the um, antioxidant, sorry, the mineral side of things is zinc and uh, selenium. Okay, so ACEs plus zinc. But relative to uh, COVID, you know, we're really talking about zinc and vitamin C are, are the main ones. Okay, 
Um, next on our list is something called N-acetylcysteine, or goes by the name of NAC. Uh, this is a sulfur-derived uh, amino acid derivative, um, and uh, it's derived from cysteine, obviously. And um, how does it work? What does it do? Okay, before we answer that, um, again, another controversial topic here. Um, you know, when you look at the ingredients of the vaccines, uh, some independent researchers, right, because the ingredients don't have to be disclosed under emergency use authorization, okay? They can kind of tweak them, they can change them. Um, and of course, the Pfizer shot now that has been approved, um, Cormartin, Cormartin, I forget how to pronounce that, um, but I don't believe that that's actually made it onto the market yet, um, but the ingredients have to be d disclosed there. But, but regardless, right, um, independent researchers, so Dr. Robert O. Young uh, was one of them, and Spanish researchers have looked at the ingredients and they have determined that there are uh, significant amounts of something called graphene oxide. Okay, so graphene oxide, um, you know, again, there's all sorts of crazy theories with graphene oxide, um, but nonetheless, it's used as uh, in quite a wide variety of applications in medicine, um, by the way, as well as other industries. Um, but this is uh, believed to be part of the lipid nanoparticle. And the reason why we have lipid nanoparticles in the shots is we're trying to deliver the mRNA, the messenger RNA, we're trying to get that into the cells, right? So that it's not just outside the cells and we have to get that through the cell membrane. And that's really what um, lipid, lipid nanotechnology is all about, right? It's a drug delivery system. But graphene oxide as well, you know, some people have said, well, the, the side effects, right? The side effects of graphene oxide toxicity is um, looks very, very similar to the COVID symptoms, right? So we've got inflammation, we've got a lot of these, um, you know, uh, mucus production and your body trying to get stuff out, right? It's trying to detox. And so um, one of the things that they observed, and again, you know, please don't quote me on this stuff. This is still emerging, like people are still looking at this. Um, but I think NAC is a good thing to take just generally, right? It's a, it's a, And I'll explain why in a minute. So with... Um, with graphene oxide, right, one of the things that we think is going on is that it drops your levels of glutathione, okay? So when uh, glutathione, if you don't know what that is, glutathione is a very, very, probably the most potent antioxidant that's manufactured in the body, right? So we make, um, we, we basically make it in our body from different amino acids, and um, it has a number of very, very important functions, right? So glutathione um, is obviously an antioxidant. It protects us from free radical damage. It protects our tissues from damage. And once those tissues become damaged, that's where you start to see um, inflammation. Um, you might see acute inflammation. You might see long-term infl inflammation. And what's interesting is when you actually um, get into some of this, you'll see that there are a number of doctors now that have done what are called D-dimer um, tests on people or analyses on people. And they've revealed that um, m well more than half, right? Some, some have actually showed around 60% of people have um, these very, very, um, it's a very subtle form of inflammation that's happening in the capillaries, right? And the blood vessels. And so this is not detected on normal imaging, but the D-dimer for some reason um, is a lot more sensitive. Uh, again, I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't know all of the technical side of things with D-dimer testing. But regardless, we're seeing 
this, uh, this vascular inflammation that's happening post-vaccination. And so, so we don't know why that's happening, right? It could be from the spike proteins. It could be from the graphene oxide. It could be from your glutathione levels going down because you've just lost an antioxidant. And the second function of glutathione is that it's a powerful anti-inflammatory, right? So it keeps inflammation levels down. So um, when you lose that, you lose, uh, it, it's a critical component of maintaining equilibrium in the body, right? So there's that. Um, the other thing that glutathione does in your body, it's not, not technically glutathione, but um, it's part of what's called your methylation cycle. And so there's a lot of people, you know, this has actually been a concern that's been raised um, with other vaccines as well over the years, is uh, there's something called MTHFR. And uh, MTHFR is basically a genetic, um, I'll, I'll use air quotes, mutation. It's not technically a mutation, um, but I think it explains the concept. It's basically a genetic impairment, if you want to look at it like that, whereby your body um, actually inherently has a very, very difficult time taking methionine and converting that down into uh, glutathione and into SAMe, which are very, very beneficial uh, compounds for the body. And right in the middle of that, you've got something called homocysteine. All right, so we basically take uh, methionine, we convert it to homocysteine. Homocysteine then gets converted into glutathione, which is beneficial, and it also gets converted into SAMe. So this is very, very basic uh, methylation 101 kind of stuff. But in the instances where people have MTHFR issues and this genetic impairment, if you will, what's going to happen is they are um, going to have a very difficult time making glutathione. And what can also happen is their homocysteine levels can naturally be slightly higher. And that kind of sets the stage for um, a lot of a whole host of other things, right? Because the methylation cycle essentially trickles over into all sorts of other areas of health. And so supporting our methylation cycle, um, you know, zinc supports that, uh, B-complex, so B vitamins will support that as well. But um, by adding in glutathione there, especially post-vaccination, um, you know, that's going to help, uh, especially those people, it could very well help um, to kind of prop you up, right? If you are doubling down post-vaccination and you've got all of this inflammation and it's, it's a lot worse for you than the average person, um, then N-acetylcysteine uh, could very well help. So um, the dosage there on the low end, and I would say this is a good place to start, is 600 milligrams uh, twice daily. Um, you can take that with food. Um, and then the maximum you would go is 1,800 milligrams a day. Okay, so that's N-acetylcysteine or NAC. All right, so moving on. Um, th that stuff I consider, the things that we've covered so far, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, zinc, and NAC, I think those are foundational, right? Um, I think everyone should be taking these to some degree, along with whatever else. Like if you want to take a multivitamin and, uh, you know, omega oils and probiotics and whatever else, all good. We're talking here supplementation for these three things that I spoke about at the beginning, right? Prevention, protection, and post-vaccination support. Um, the other things I'm going to mention here, I'll just I'll, I'll put them out there because I feel they're important. And I will be doing subsequent podcasts on uh, a lot more specifically on immune system, um, things that impede on immunity, right? So we'll talk about that. And then uh, some other tools that you can use to support broad spectrum immunity, right? So just bear in mind, this is a little bit more pointed towards COVID. So I sat in on a lecture, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think now, a year ago, maybe more. 
And uh, it was with, with the uh, European, it was a bunch of doctors from the European Respiratory Association or, or something like that. I'll see if I can dig up that name. And uh, I got turned on to them through the Institute for Functional Medicine. Um, these are doctors that are working in the hospitals. These are doctors that are, you know, frontline doctors. They're seeing patients with COVID, et cetera. And one of the things that they brought up, which I found was very interesting, was nettle, right? So they actually said that nettle tincture um, inhibits the binding of uh, SARS-CoV-2. Okay, I don't know about other viruses. I would assume others as well. But it, it actually stops the binding of these um, of the spike protein to the cells of the body. So this would be a fantastic in terms of prevention. Um, you know, obviously, if we're running around and we're worried about contracting COVID or any other flu, uh, this would be a great um, prevention uh, preventative tool. Um, but also just considering that if your body's making spike protein, right, post-vaccination, and we're really worried about those proteins binding to those ACE2 receptors at the cellular level, um, nettle could be a very good thing. Now, you can do nettle uh, leaf. That's the most common thing you're going to find out there. Um, nettle leaf is also a lot of silicon, right? So very, very good for hair, skin, um, nails, very good for the kidneys and so forth. But there's also something else on the market that I've seen, which is nettle seed. And nettle seed um, tincture is going to have all of the same properties as the nettle leaf with the additional property of being an adaptogen, right? So very, very powerful adaptogenic properties, great for adrenal support and that sort of stuff. And uh, I don't have any dosage for you on that one because, um, you know, basically you're going to have to look at the concentration and, the, you know, all that sort of stuff. So follow the manufacturer's um, guide for that. And uh, if you're not into taking tinctures, you can also get dry nettle in a capsule form and you can kind of uh, go down that road. Okay, so... Um, the next thing I'll talk about, there's only two more, and then I'm going to wrap up this episode, uh, is um, fulvic acid, right? So fulvic and humic acids with trace minerals. Um, this is something, and, you know, you can go back into the archives. I'll put some links there um, to if you want to deep dive into some of the stuff. Um, and full disclaimer, I do work with uh, Black Oxygen Organics, so I am going to put down an affiliate link there. Um, I will be making a small percentage of the sale, um, 100%. And the same thing with Carbon C60, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But the when it comes to fulvic and humic acids and trace minerals, again, I consider this as core foundational stu stuff outside of anything else, right? So forget about treatment, forget about COVID, forget about anything like that. And part of the reason why... Um, people have a very difficult time absorbing things at the cellular level, right? So we spoke about zinc and how difficult it is to get that into the cells. One of the, the, the amazing things about fulvic and humic acids is that they increase the cellular uptake of all nutrients, right? In fact, they take 60 times its weight of nutrients inside the cell. So a lot of people are very concerned about what they're eating and we're taking all of these supplements and what have you. And then on the back end of it all, we're not actually getting them into the cells. So with something like black oxygen organics, um, you can choose your own fulvic and humic acids, totally fine. I like black oxygen organics because it's the highest concentration of fulvic acid on the, on the planet, right? The concentration is around 36%. Uh, most other products are around 7 to 9%, somewhere around there. So... Um, you know, it, it helps at the cellular level um, with nutrient absorption, right? That's one. But two, it actually helps with cellular detoxification. And it pulls 60 times its weight of toxins out of the cell. So it really helps with cellular functioning. And then you, um, it pulls water into the cell as well. 
which is a pretty unique feature. So you have cellular hydration, but here's where I think, and the reason why I'm talking about it relative to COVID is because once it pulls that water into the cells, it does a couple of really cool things. It takes that water, which is H2O, and it basically splits the water in two. And you now have oxygenation at the cellular level, and you also have the hydrogen side of things changes the pH of the cells. And as we discussed before, uh, viral replication prefers a certain type of environment. And we find things like zinc, we find things like fulvic humic acids and whatnot, um, by way of what I just explained, they're actually going to change the cellular pH, which could then have the knock-on effect of inhibiting viral replication. Right? But regardless, outside of COVID, um, fulvic humic acids, trace minerals, foundational stuff for good health. Right. The last one I'm going to talk about is carbon C60. Uh, carbon C60, again, just has so many different functions um, in the body. Uh, I'm going to just plug the podcast down below here. Um, you can listen to that. It's a very in-depth podcast. Um, but one of the features here of C60, and it, it's kind of similar to the black oxygen organics, um, but this works at the cellular level and it works on the mitochondrial level. So with a lot of antioxidants, you know, if you're talking about CoQ10, if you're talking about some of these, uh, you know, um, other things for mitochondrial function, right, um, B vitamins and so forth, what you'll find is they plug into different parts of what's called the electron transport chain. And one of the things with C60 that I like is that it doesn't plug itself in there. It just kind of really enhances mitochondrial function. Um, it enhances antioxidant capacity in the body. And, um, you know... Again, I, I want to just say this, like I'm not saying that C60 is going to prevent infection or treat COVID or anything like that, right? But um, it does, imp it, it, it is a powerful antioxidant. It does improve respiration, so cellular respiration and oxygenation. Again, COVID is an illness where um, it's hypoxia, right? It's low oxygen levels. And again, I consider C60 as one of these foundational um, pieces there. Uh, the serving size for that, so I'm just going to, uh, I'll, I'll put a link there to um, C60 Purple Power. Um, love their products um, from the manufacturing side of things. The people that run that company are awesome. Love them. And um, you would just take one teaspoon uh, per day. Um, that's it, right? You can take more. Um, but again, we're trying to do something that's conservative. So what we have in our protocol, just to wrap things up here, we got vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, zinc, and NAC right? Those five are the foundational things. And then these optional things we added on here were nettle tincture, black oxygen organics, fulvic and humic acids with trace minerals, and uh, C60 uh, purple power, right? So carbon C60 at one teaspoon per day. So I'm going to wrap that up, right? A slightly shorter um, podcast today, but um, I hope that you got a tremendous amount of value out of this podcast. Um, that's really the, the main point here. Uh, so what I've done as well is I've made things a little bit easier. Um, obviously, you can support the show if you want, uh, but also support yourself. Um, when it comes to choosing the right supplements, uh, it can get quite confusing for people. Um, what are the best forms, where to get them, and you'll end up shopping around and, and uh, not getting anywhere. Uh, so what I've done for people in the U.S. and Canada, um, I've actually put together a uh, protocol based on this particular podcast. Uh, you can check out the show notes below and you can order directly from Fullscript. Uh, that'll be both in Canada and in the US. Uh, so just click on the link below. It should take you right through to uh, the protocol 
with all of the products um, preloaded. The only things that are not in there are going to be the C60 and uh, the Black Oxygen Organics. Um, but again, you can uh, click on those links in the show notes and uh, you can go and purchase those directly from uh, the manufacturer. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I do hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, uh, please consider uh, subscribing, reviewing, um, sharing this with your friends, family, etc., etc. And you have yourself a uh, beautiful day wherever you are. 